Good afternoon, everyone. This is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwar. I hope all of you listeners have had a uh, about as good a time as you can since last we spoke. Michael, how have you been? Oh, I've been pretty, pretty constantly. I mean, I'd say I haven't not been any at any stage, really, in the last few days. So that's a positive. There's a couple of things we want to get into uh, on the show. I want particularly to talk about that COVID-19 committee. The head of Nursing Homes Ireland was there. Um, and he received a um, a reputation which was a bit spiky at times. But there's one or two things I just want to run through quickly before that. Just kind of briefly mention them. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is you've probably seen the photos of um, Leo in the park, in the Phoenix Park, with a group of friends and his partner. Um, he was there, I think, on Sunday. A, 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 a group of two friends and his partner. Might just be, might be two couples, I don't know. But there's a group of four, which is within the um, the guidelines set out. And he's working from the uh, state home near there, the lodge. So he was within 5k of that well, as well. That's a rather important point, though. He's he's living in Farmley and he's, and he's staying there and he's getting it 50 euro a night. Now, may, I, I may have missed it, I did the wrong search, but it's not listed on Airbnb, Gary. Well, no, but it is for the usage of the state. I'm more surprised that he's paying anything for it. I think that should have been the Taoiseach's uh, residence for years. Yes, somebody used to stay there. Kenny, I think, used to stay there at the odd time, but apparently Bertie never did. But anyway, there's, there's, people have been debating whether or not he was within or without the two-metre social distancing. From the statements that have come out of his office, I would suspect he can't guarantee he was outside the two meters at all time because he's a normal human person and people don't have that great a grasp of distance so the actual thing is is one thing whether or not you care i thought it was but there was one thing i found interesting and that was the response of the irish media to it because as so often in ireland it's not actually what happens it's the way we talk about what happens it's not the story it's the, the meta story the meta story, Michael. We're big on meta narratives. Oh, yes, oh, yeah. yeah that's, what, that's what people want on their uh, on their early morning shows. But the Irish Times, no. So the Independent started with something that was fairly sort of, well, this happened, but, you know, whatever. It probably wasn't a problem. But every story they've published from that point on has gotten more and more pointed. Yeah, I thought Ian O'Doherty has has uh, quite a good st- quite piece, quite a, a bit of a biting piece on it in the, in the Indo today, as is usual. Ian is always good value, asks the questions and and asks them rather well. But the Times is a bit is late. <laughs> yeah, now the Irish Times put up an explainer. Did the Taoiseach ignore public health rules by going on a picnic? I'll link it down in the show notes. And they have a question in that explainer, and it says, was the Taoiseach disobeying the public health guidance on social distance? And they have a one-line answer, which is, his spokesman said Varadkar was fully complying with the guidelines on coronavirus. (laughs) Computer says no. Now, I don't know if the Irish Times did that in order to go, well, we don't believe so, but uh, here you go, or if what their reasoning was for that. However, I actually... 
first had my attention brought to that by an American journalist who was mocking it and mocking the hard-hitting journalism we're seeing in Ireland yeah. in relation to this. Because weirdly enough, while Irish media haven't really reported on it, international media has reported on it. Well, yeah, I suppose, well, I suppose Prime Minister goes topless in park is always going to be a story. Oh, so I, the, the Times, I, I may be being unfair in the Times, you, there may be, but it, many, many years ago, I, I remember being in, uh, working, I was working in Milan in, in August, which most people don't, they go on their holidays. In fact, everybody pretty well goes on holidays. And I would watch the 7 o'clock news, which was on the channel, which was rapidly pro-Berlusconi at the time, and particularly this newscaster, a guy called Emilio Fede, and the last item on the news this particular week was, every night, the President of the Council, Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, has not yet gone on his holidays, which I thought was brilliant, because it was like it was back in the days of Mussolini, or the guy's up there at three o'clock in the morning. Berlusconi hasn't gone on holidays yet. It's, just, it's a wonderful kind of Soviet feel to it. And it, I was reminded of it when I saw this in the, the, the Irish Times, was the Prime Minister, was the Taoiseach breaking the rules? Well, we we did what any responsible journalist would do. We asked the press officer in the government and the government said no. So there you go. That's investig- That's proper, in- that's closed, it's finished. Now I will, I will say this for the Independent. The Independent, when this originally came out, said that, well, the Taoiseach says he's living in the, uh, the lodge and therefore he was within the 5K to get to the Phoenix Park, and he's fine. However, they then chase that up, and now they're reporting that actually in a radio interview two weeks ago, he said he was using the lodge for work, but living in his apartment, ah. which would mean he also break or he also braked. Braked. He also broke yeah. the distance limitation. Now, do you remember when um, the Israel Falau case in Australia? Yes. For the, for the listener camera, Israel Flair was an Australian rugby player who got in trouble because he put up a statement that um, various types of people were going to go to hell if they didn't repent, uh, one of which was homosexuals. And I remember saying during the time that a lot of the attacks that he got from people in the media, I had the feeling that they were actually because he had also talked about drunks and philanderers and liars. Fornicators. And that people in the media may have felt targeted by those remarks. Personally you attached. Couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't go against him <laughs> and go, no, the liars are fine, because then you look like a liar. So you attack him on the grounds of the homosexuality thing, because it's socially acceptable to say, no, you can't say that, Israel. No more jobs for you. <laughs> but I kind of get a bit of that sense from the defense of Leo. Uh, not from everyone. I think the, the people who are saying... This doesn't matter at all. She'll leave him alone. I would be interested to see how many of those people would be able to say that they had perhaps fully upholded the requirements of the lockdown. There may be a little nagging guilt there, but the whole thing has become... There are wonderful comic elements of it. There are also little insights into the, into the soul of Ireland and maybe the, the dispositions of the people making the various arguments. Uh, you had... A period there where there was a great debate, if you remember, what constitutes a picnic? I did. I, I really enjoyed the what is a uh, what is the picnic? One of the, the 
the government spokespersons last week had said that was one of the specific things that they were uh, counselling, I think, uh, encouraging people not to do was have picnics. She, We have been since clarified that, that this was not a, a rule, it was not an instruction, but that it was something... So the, it is believed that the... Uh, from the photographs that the, the Taoiseach and his friends may have been consuming cans of beer. This also provoked, there's a, a phrase used in the Argo of Dublin and beyond called knacker drinking, I believe, which is when young people go out and drink in a field cans of beer or cider or some such libations. Anyway, this seemed to be provoking a horrible a reaction in people that there was something terribly déclassé about our 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 t-shirt drinking cans of beer. That I don't know. Maybe if he produced a couple of well chilled bottles of Montrachet and poured them into some decent crystal glasses, as they nibbled on a pate or a cracker, that would have been okay. I I, I don't know, but the the debate about what they were drinking, what they were eating, became quite. <laughs> on social media now obviously not in the real world but social media being big issue it's not a picnic it must be a picnic because there's a rug there's a rug and they're drinking things it's a picnic so uh, whether whether or not he stayed two metres I mean he, as you say Gary he didn't have a, a pointy stick attached to his torso that making sure that he, he, he stayed clear of people at the same time as the press and not just the print media but the electronic media and the news, the TV media are apparently obsessed with Dominic Cummings, who is not even a minister in the government of our near our near neighbours, but an advisor to the prime minister. And he's also saying, you know, this may be untrue, but he is also saying that he didn't break any regulations because of the way those regulations were worded. Yes, but beyond that, I think Dominic Cummings was on the team of let's just have herd immunity. And I don't think he ever tried to tell anyone that he thought the lockdown was a good idea, nor did he ever impose the lockdown. And yes, there were two separate items on one uh, evening news item referring to uh, Dominic Cummins and nothing about the Taoiseach. Now, whether or not the Taoiseach had done anything, it was a story. I mean, yeah, when we when Grift were discussing it internally, whether or not we should put it out, because... We had seen it on social media. About this, uh, it turned out the Independent was having the same discussion at that time. But my reaction was, I don't like it because I don't like anything that infringes on privacy. And you should be able to go to a park without being photographed. But it is undeniably a story that you have the head of the government that's imposed a lockdown, which has led people to miss birthdays, you know, important parts of other people's lives, funerals of their loved one. That he is topless in a in a park drinking in what may be in breach of the regulations his own government has put in place is absolutely a story. And I'm not saying that we should have a British style media because sometimes the British media is savage. Yes, but it would be nice to have something a little bit less. A little bit of a. Um, well, we um, don't we don't question the middle way. A, a middle way would be nice. And to be fair, like when I saw the independence original coverage i did kind of think they were covering from but they've just kept reporting on it and it has just started to become more and more sort of more and more pointed so you know, good on them for that yeah 
they obviously think there's some their legs in it and people are cute. And I can understand that people are going to be peed off in the sense that I was talking to a friend of mine there recently. He was he he was over in Saint Mullins. You know, he would live pretty near to there. He's sort of between Saint Mullins and uh, Inishtig. And it's a beautiful place, beautiful spot by the river there. And he said there were guards down checking on people, seeing if people were within taking exercise within five or had within their five k or whether they and people were being asked to send up. You know, people are going to get if there's a sense that it's it's a lot. It's a people don't mind rules to ultimately if they feel like everybody is getting the same treatment, the same fair shake. The sense that, you know, if this was, don't do as I do, but do as I say, is never going to be a, it's never going to be a, a, a popularity winner with people. Anyway. But it's also I mean, just politically a terrible idea. Yeah, that's what I couldn't get. Of all of us, you're, you see, you, you're, you're aware, because he has to be aware of the credible brouhaha there is in England, uh, in the UK at the moment, about the Dominic Cummins story. You're aware that it, this is the single biggest story in the in in the, in the state at the moment, which is to what extent we should start to be re- relaxing the lockdown. There is a perception we know an international perception when we remember the the comments made by the Prime Minister of New Zealand that Ireland is coming out of this more slowly, more carefully than other countries indeed it's a little bit like a an old lady who's broken one hip and she's very careful she's not going to break the other as she comes little footstep by little footstep out of the house there's and that the sense that you know okay we're we're, we're bored we've had enough of this already come on let's get things speeded up now he's aware of that and yet a, a, a full-time professional politician Taoiseach, decides that will be all right i'll go no, he I, I'm like you, Gary. I don't like the idea that, you know, you're going to be photographed and videoed and that's going to end up in the papers and you don't have a right to your own life. You don't have a right to recreation. But he knew that was going to happen. On a sunny day, Phoenix Park, hundreds of people. I mean, you could have thousands of people in the Phoenix Park and still socially distant. He must have. Did it never occur to him? It must have occurred to him. But he decided he was okay. I, I, I thought it was politically a strange, strange thing to do. Naive, maybe, or arrogant. I Whichever. You pays your money, it you takes your choice. I mean, he might just not be terribly interested in the whole thing anymore. <laughs> He's bored with it. Bored with COVID or bored with being Taoiseach? Bored with being Taoiseach, like... I just want to go meet my friends in the park, have some drinks, have some fun. Actually sounds like the plot line of a uh, American high school drama. Yeah, I was just thinking at, at, at any moment now, Leo's going to turn around and say, you're not my real dad, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to meet my mates. But I wonder, it's, I'd say it's entirely possible that some level is sort of, I don't need to be doing any of this. <laughs> I could just be a doctor. I could be a doctor. I could have a nice practice and mulhuddered and fecky as all. Yeah, I just go and get drunk. But until that time, you know, you, you take what you will. So, 
one other small thing I wanted to to mention just as a, an aside, uh, and it's about Brazil. It's the rare Brazilian story, not about Bolsonaro or something catching fire and falling over. And it relates to the um, to the Chinese. Chinese embassy in Brazil sent a letter to the Brazilian um, Chamber of Deputies. The basically talking about Taiwan recently had elections. And the president of Taiwan was having an inauguration ceremony uh, on May the 20th. So last week, last uh, Wednesday, maybe? A week from today, actually. And they sent this letter basically saying, we would like you to put in place the the appropriate uh, preventative measures to make sure that no one celebrates or even acknowledges that this is happening. Because, you know, if, if Brazilian diplomats or sorry, uh, representatives were to do this, it could be harmful to the uh, one China policy. So it was a lovely recommendation and definitely not a threat, but just a reminder. And what happened is one of the Brazilian parliamentarians that it was sent to leaked it because that, yeah, that, that was going to happen. And that led to a the birth of a hashtag called Viva Taiwan, and that ended up being sent, uh, I think there were 100,000, 113,000 the last time I checked. Messages sent over Twitter with that hashtag. It became one, it became the top hashtag in Brazil. It became, I think, the fourth highest hashtag globally. Globally trending. So you're talking about millions of people seeing it. Millions upon millions of people. And uh, the president of Taiwan responded to the hashtag by saying, you know, thanking everyone, and then saying, uh, you know, Viva Taiwan, Viva Brazil. <laughs> and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Taiwan reached directly out to the parliamentarian who leaked it, thanking him, and he said it was always an honour to defend freedom and liberty. Oh, God. So the Chinese, in attempting to stop people talking about Taiwan, ended up with 100,000 Brazilians... <laughs> going to talk to the Taiwanese, now a direct line between a Brazilian parliamentarian and the Taiwanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and uh, the president of Taiwan having to come out and thank Brazilians for their great support. It's not been a great week for Chinese diplomacy, has it? I think at some point someone in China is just going to go, Let's, what if we just, like for two weeks, we just didn't do anything? And we see what happens. Like, <laughs> nothing. So I'll, I'll put a link in um, to a story on that in the show descriptions. We have, a, I did a little story on Grift with it, where I painstakingly fed into Google Translate the letter that the Chinese embassy sent. I'm, I think I've got it pretty much as it should be. Um, I also included a video of the president of Taiwan giving her full inauguration speech with English subtitles, just because I could. <laughs> also, it seemed kind of funny. <clears throat> well, okay. It's important to find joy in these things, Michael. Uh, absolutely, joy. To take your joy to where you can, Gary. And if it's the inauguration of the President of Taiwan, well then, let it be so. I mean, why not? There are worse things to find joy in. To the To the thing I think we actually wanted to talk about, the meeting of the uh, the COVID nineteen committee, the that uh, that delightful little panel that is looking at uh, the outbreak, 
And uh, I don't know, did you did you pay much attention to this, Michael? Well, I was looking at some of the the comments, shall we say. I always think it's interesting at the beginning of these to see <clears throat> if there's any kind of pattern of 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 of, of language or of words or of, of of a direction that slightly surprises you, because that can often be an indication of where where a particular political viewpoint is going to take this how they've decided on a, they've strategized it and this is what they're going to be using as their distraction technique or their shift the blame technique there is i think uh, within the government within uh, within finnegale a very reasonable fear that right now there's a hell of a lot of solidarity within the country there's a belief from based on what I do not know, uh, if you look at the numbers, just of people who are no longer alive in the in the country, that we are doing really well and the government has done really well. And, and anyone who says anything else is not taking into account how good we are accounting and how bad everyone else is. Everybody else is so bad and not getting any better. I I I was. Exactly that was said to me the other day when I just put out some observations. Uh, really, just the numbers. You, know, if you look at the four, well, there are forty roughly. We'll say more forty-eight nations or or entities in in Europe, right? So just looking at Europe, uh, uh we um, in the the league table of deaths, and that's. Even that's disputed. What? What? <laughs> I don't think death is disputed, but rather, what is recorded as being death. We come in, I think, a tenth highest out of forty-eight, and and uh, people say, "Oh well, you look at the numbers, yeah, but you the reporting. Look at the reporting. You can't look at you can't. yeah. That's fine to an extent, except that there have been WHO directives which have been taken on board at this stage by most if not all supposedly of the countries but even allowing for all of that even allowing for different different ways of recording different things if you look at greece right mm. greece at the moment is at 17 deaths per million people of in the country i don't i say the moment that's yesterday i didn't check the numbers yesterday ireland was at 326 per million now, it's pretty tough to see how you're going to explain that away with counting. And you don't have to go that far down the list. We're, I think, at number number 10, right? 326 per million. If you go down to 16, only down to 16, you're looking at Germany and Austria on 102 and 100 per million. That's six places, just down six places, and you're now talking one third, one third of the of the of the rate the fatality the rate of fatality. I mean, that's a massive jump. The, the lowest. I can't remember the lowest now. They were actually the lowest in absolute are the Faroe Islands. The Faroe Islands had 187 cases, no fatalities, thus far. But the lowest with the reported, I might, I can't, I can't remember now. But it might be Slovakia, is five. And if you look at Greece, you could say, well, maybe at different points in the in the map, it's their first death actually occurred 
be four hours. I think it was on the 1st of March that Greece had its first reported case of somebody dying from COVID-19. Our first reported case of a death was the 11th of March. Anyway, my point being, I think that it's pretty reasonable for people within Fine Gael to th- think, OK, not today, not tomorrow, maybe, but one day and one day soon. Somebody's going to say, you know what, we didn't really do that well. Now, off the top of my head, Gary, maybe you can help me here if you can. I think around two thirds of the deaths that have occurred in Ireland have occurred in care homes. Or people who are in hospital who would come from care um, It depends on the day and it depends on exactly how it's being put together. I've seen figures ranging from about 54 to kind of low 60s. Well, the, I'm going on the basis of a, a, a question. I think David Quinn asked at one of the, uh, the at one of the, uh, at one of the the press conferences, on the basis that I think it was in, in low sixties that people had died in nursing homes, but another five percent had gone from nursing homes into hospital and, and died there. You then have a very large number of people who have been infected, a large proportion of the people who've been infected who are people working shall we say what they say on the front line people working either in medicine or connected to the hospital so i think the important thing here michael is that uh, tony hulahan the chief medical officer has said we need to move beyond the blame game in relation to nursing homes now who says who says that who is not worried about being blamed well, I think we can say that Tony Houlihan, the man most widely known to the public in relation to nursing homes for saying that cutting off uh, or locking them down and stopping visitors going into them at the start of the outbreak and then having to totally reverse that position within about a week is definitely a man not worried about being blamed for the surging death toll in <coughs> nursing homes. Then somebody somewhere in this system also made decisions regarding, for example, poaching staff from nursing homes when nursing homes are actually trying to recruit more staff or telling nursing homes to accept patients back from hospitals who hadn't actually tested clear for COVID-19 now people dispute that and say oh well that if it if that did happen it didn't actually have any impact at all on the rates of infection other people are saying well actually when you when the traceback has been done we it's demonstrable that uh, actually, there were many, many cases of infection which are directly can be li- traced back to people who were brought in from the hospitals and actually did create lines of infection and higher levels of mortality. Somebody in this administration, somebody in this in, involved in the management of this pandemic, was responsible for the decision to t- to uh, allegedly. Tell suppliers of PPE that when they were approached by care homes to tell them that they would not be able to supply them as they usually did because all of the PPE was going to go to the state and the state would then distribute as it saw fit. So there are obvious questions. Now, the thing I... Did you notice money? The, The wealth of the people connected with those people in either work owning homes or work or managing them or the board of directors has suddenly become this issue. The the Dáil Special Committee on COVID-19 Response, which is its formal name, 
they met with uh, the chief executive of Nursing Homes Ireland, uh, Mr. Daly. And Fergus O'Dowd, a TD who the most positive thing I can say about him is that he has many nice ties. Some nice ties, actually. Fluent Irish speaker. Don't care. Yeah, I thought I'd, I thought I'd got a winner there, but no. No, it doesn't make up for the rest of it. Fergus was, um, he effectively called Mr. Daly a liar. He said that the claims, Mr. Daly claims that the sector was isolated were uh, patently and obviously untrue. And then basically went on some sort of a rambling diatribe about how the nursing uh, sector, the nursing home sector had money and should have spent more money to protect itself. Pointing out that the directors of Nursing Home Ireland, that there were 12 directors and some of them were very wealthy. I'm, yeah. Of course, the problem there is that stuff like saying you should have spent more money on PPE sort of ignores the point of could you spend more money on PPE? Where were you going to get this PPE? Because I don't know if you can remember the start of this outbreak, Michael, because it seems like so long ago. Indeed. But it was pretty hard to get PPE at that point. There was none to be got, even though we had been a actually assured by the administration some weeks before that that we were grand for PPE no problems I I mean look it looks like very clearly like Fergus was told by the party that we think this is going to be a problem that we think when, when the solidarity wears off and the knives come out the knives are going to come out about the nursing homes and in fact the independent is already starting to move to get the knives out about the nursing homes. So we need you to cut these people down. However, I don't think this was the way it should have been done. <sighs> I mean, there was the point where he asked Mr. Daly what they had done yeah. uh, to sort to get themselves ready. And Daly responded by saying, well, or he asked how much money they had spent. And Daly said, well, the figure is definitely in the millions and I can get you the exact figure if you want. Which seemed to somehow surprise Fergus. <laughs> What's the old cliche about the barrister in court? Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Oh, there was a point where O'Dowd brought up that uh, compliance rates with HICWIT amongst the nursing sector are quite low, which they are, which is an absolutely fair point. But he phrased it as an attack on Daly, and Daly just said, but that includes all nursing homes, including public nursing homes. And in fact, we know that the nursing home that appears to have been the most affected by the COVID-19 outbreak was St. Mary's. Which is is a state-run. It's, yeah. And yet, there's all this chatter about uh, two-tier health system, uh, uh, for-profit care... A lot of the language is coming out. It seems to me this is the line they're going to be going down. I, I, these, these people died because they were in the hands of greedy men who make money out of your granny. I did like the point where Mr. Uh, where where Dowd said that the the nursing sector should have spent more money on testing. And Mr. Daly had to point out that the HSE was doing the testing. Like they were organizing all of the testing. And there was a sort of, maybe we should have had more testing, but that would be more on you than me, wouldn't it? It's kind of your job. Yeah, but I mean, he did effectively call the man a liar. 
because Daly had said that he thought nursing homes were isolated and forgotten about. Uh, <laughs> he pulled out a couple of correspondences that Daly had had with the um, Department of Health, in which Daly had thanked them from their ongoing correspondence. The problem is, is that those uh, 90 minutes before the meeting started, the Department of Health released all these correspondence they'd had with Nursing Homes Ireland. Yeah. And they showed that Nursing Homes Ireland had spent effectively a month, maybe a couple of days either way, pretty much begging the department to tell them what was happening, what they should do, explicitly saying that they thought that the sector was at a high risk of collapse and that there would be deaths and asking could they talk to senior people in the Department of Health about how to handle this. And then it took them effectively a month and then they met the minister and then things, they say, started rolling. So yeah, I'd imagine in that there were a couple of emails where you're like, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, well, you've got to be polite. And I'm not saying that glibly. You're trying to have a conversation, trying to have a, set up a communication with somebody, a dialogue. You're not, well, if you have any sense, you're not going to go in shouting and insulting and demanding and beating on tables. Because in Ireland, that doesn't work. If you get polite, you get responsive. And you're polite, you say, thank you for your, your time, because you want to try and keep these people engaged. But the thing is, like, this is all stuff that O'Dowd would have known about, because this was reported at the time. Yeah. I remember us talking on the podcast about how the nursing homes were saying they couldn't meet with anyone and that nothing was happening because no one would meet with them. And it just taking weeks upon weeks and then eventually Simon Harris met with them. At the time I remember we were talking about it, we talked about the podcast, uh, on one um, owner manager of a, of, a, of a care home in the southeast, saying that they had twice tried to have an, 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 uh, a meeting with uh, an official and, 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 twi- and on both occasions it was, it was cancelled and nothing could happen. Now if that was maybe that was a person covering their 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 behind, I don't know. But this was something that was certainly in the air that people were trying to. You cannot expect care homes, individually owned small care homes. Now there some of them are large scale and uh, multiple facilities, but you can't expect that they're going to have a perfect understanding of a setup of how to use man- how to manage a virus like this, a new virus like this, in a pandemic. You you are going to turn to the state. You're going to turn to the competent authorities within the state and say, "What do we do? Please tell us." And to be fair to them, no, no, I'm saying that there because we don't know, Gary. We don't know what they did or what they didn't do. This will hopefully come out in the process of this committee hearings. But it seems like a perfectly reason for them to say, "Please tell us what to do," and that there was a there does a strong impression that they were left hanging. And one of the things that we have said from the very beginning of this process is that timing and time, speed of response, has been absolutely vital to successful outcomes. And they seem to have been left in this limbo, waiting for help, waiting for information, waiting for direction, as time ticked on. There were actually some things that um, Daly brought up that I hadn't been aware of that I think make this look significantly worse. So he was talking about when they had in March, in early March, when they had restricted visitation. Yeah. And he was saying that this isn't something we decided to do easily, but 
we knew that up to 40% of cases at the time we knew could be asymptomatic. So, and at that point, no one really knew how the virus was spreading in a setting like this. So we had to, to lock it down. And then he starts saying, but then we had a situation where we were publicly called out for that. Yes. And he did make the point that this was done publicly. It wasn't that we were privately informed that, you know, this may have been an issue. It was, this was a public attack on us by uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team. He didn't use the term attack, but he seemed to say, like, this was a challenge to us. And this could have been done privately. But he also said that um, on the 10th of March, HICWA had made a decision to suspend all visits by inspectors to hospitals because they couldn't, uh, they said, the safety and well-being of patients and staff. So they were saying, well, we, we didn't even have, no one was inspecting hospitals or anything of that nature because they were worried that inspectors could bring in COVID-19 to the patients and staff. So how is it not reasonable to stop visitors? Somehow being a, a HICWA inspector made them a more likely vector of infection than members of the public walking off the street. It doesn't sound plausible, does it? No, and then, I mean, he he then talked about the discharges from hospitals. So at the, when this started, they basically cleared out the hospitals to the greatest extent they could. And they sent a lot of those people to nursing homes. And uh, Daly pointed out that they, they refused to test those people prior to discharge from hospitals to nursing homes. Yeah. So... Uh, community, if any of those people had COVID-19, it would have come into the nursing homes that way. It also might explain some of the debt we're seeing in nursing homes not being from COVID-19 effectively, but because these people should be in a hospital. Yeah, these are, these are, shall we say, the hidden excess deaths that are occurring as a consequence of the management of the lockdown rather than the virus itself. And there are going to be, I'm sure there are going to be more of those. The NEPIT briefing at which they challenged the visitor uh, ban came the same day as HICWA suspended their investigators. I mean... Which kind of just seems like no one has any idea what the other side are doing. Yeah. It's certainly a mixed message. This, uh, how long is this going to go on? As long as it needs, I suppose. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, John McGuinness is on that committee, is he? John McGuinness is on that committee, and John McGuinness is already uh, he's already setting him up himself up to John McGuinness that committee. <laughs> you know, whatever one thinks about McGuinness, and he's he's a bit of a marmite politician. He, was... he is, but if there if there was anyone on an actual important committee, there are a few other politicians I would rather see on it. If we we remember his. I think very successful tenure on the uh, the fight was the finance committee, the finance committee. But I think the 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 highlight of that was how much he was able to expand the scope of what the finance committee could look at. And do you remember how he did that? You remind me. He came out and said that uh, where traditionally the finance committee had very limited areas it could look into. By his understanding, anything on which state money was spent yeah. <laughs> was within the purview yeah. of the finance committee. 
Yeah, it's... Uh, Which is to say, I can do anything I want. It's like in the States, they use the Commerce Clause to basically touch everything because everything is commerce, interstate commerce. And in, in in a way, he managed to do that. He managed to create a, a committee which was a bit like you know those great Senate committees, House committees they have in the United States that investigate and get on TV and very exciting stuff. He he and he he was um, he was he, he was good himself and Alan Kelly. I think are the two TDs that I would like most to see in a situation like this because they seem. I think he also enjoys it. I think so too. Which is perfectly fine. Yeah, but he gets he 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 doesn't mind. He doesn't mind, and he just putting shall we say a little bit of an, a bit of a a bit of a hold on these guys, bit of a Chinese burn, and seeing how making them squeak. Uh, so when John gets in on it, I will. I look forward to seeing that. I mean, I just. The overall tone of daily talking, of Nursing Homes Ireland talking, I mean, they talk a lot about how long the plans took to put in place and how at the start uh, the government was only interested in hospitals. Yeah. And that their sector basically wasn't involved in anything. And that they knew that this was a problem, they couldn't talk to anyone, no one was interested in meeting them. And they were basically trying to convince people that, like, we, we will have an issue here. Like, you, you can't just shift a load of people from hospitals in here and make us stay open and take our staff and reduce our PPE and think that nothing is going to happen here. It, and it, it seems like there was a, uh, a colossal fuck-up, really, that I, I would expect no one would be blamed for. Well, we'll say... I- because we've got to move beyond the blame game. Yes, we have to. We have to be more mature than that. Mm. To be sensible. I love it when people demand maturity, sense, blame game. Very bad thing, the blame game. Because unless, of course, you're not to blame, and then you want, <laughs> let's stone the bastard. Yeah, I've generally found that. Yeah, if you, uh, if you, if you're not afraid that you might be the person blamed, the blame game becomes a uh, a lot better, no. and oftentimes necessary. <laughs> yes, we need need a proper clean out here. It is, of course, worth observing that in politics and as in life, people sometimes get blamed they shouldn't be blamed. It's not their not their fault at all. But absolutely, but occasionally someone gets blamed who may have taken a series of catastrophic decision leading to a great deal of human misery, suffering, and occasionally death. For example, that can happen, yes. And one would argue that the concept of justice would sort of imply that that person should suffer some consequences for that. Well, justice should demand at least that we can establish at least degrees of responsibility. As opposed to, oh, this is just a thing that happened and no one is to blame. You know, you can't, it's no point in going around trying to decide who did what to who, where and when. It's just one of those things, lads. You remember the famous old Bertie thing, when Bertie would be asked anything about an apparent U-turn or evolution or whatever of his position or something. Bertie's actually was always, he's very brief. Ah, lads, come on. That was then. This is now. Living in the past. You have to live in the now. Come on. I don't know if that's going to wash this time. Yeah, well, just uh, very briefly, I don't know, did you notice, 
talking about you know things that could never have been foreseen. I don't know if you noticed there was a discussion about uh, the Cheltenham Festival. Oh, is this the point where uh, we've now accepted that maybe, maybe that was a bad idea? There's there there are people now coming out and saying really odd stuff, Gary. That, for example, people going in very large numbers to the Cheltenham Festival and then coming back and not being uh, required to quarantine or self-isolate was a bad idea. That allowing Italian rugby fans to come over, a few thousand of them from the north of Italy, uh, in the middle of the outbreak in the north of Italy, in Wander and Dublin for a couple of days was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And having those uh, trainers, the, or the, the those pilots and uh, cabin crew staff coming over for training and then going back to Italy and all of them, all of them, testing positive for the virus that you know what turns out that they might not have been a bad idea but now gary and fairness of the time did anybody say did anybody say this shouldn't happen i don't think so i think it's all very good it's all hindsight yes although i i do seem to remember pascal saying that we couldn't stop the italians because uh it would hurt the how would we feel if the italians did it to us terribly hurt Terribly hurt, terribly hurt, which again is legitimately the reasoning of a child. I, <laughs> I just well, amused me with the wrong word, but puzzled maybe my natural disposition How in many life. People, do you think died because of that? Oh well, that's point of space. I mean, you can't really it's quantify, but I think we could probably say that sentence killed a couple of people. And you know what? I'm not sure the Italians think any higher of us afterwards. Do you know what? It is my suspicion that the Italians don't think of us at all. I, I've always this thing that we have in Ireland, and we probably have it in other countries as well, but we, we do like saying, oh, for God's sake, we're the laughing stock, you know, we're a laughing stock. And it's always struck me, I thought, who the hell is thinking about us? It's, mm. I used to say to friends of mine, it's those bloody Paraguayans again, isn't it? Although I can imagine if you told the Italians that we had let a load of people, massive amount of people, who many of whom could have been infected, into the country because we would thought it would hurt their feelings if we didn't. They would simply look at you and say, you are an idiot. Because I think it was around this time, maybe it was a little bit later, but in and around this time, when the governors of different regions in the south of Italy actually said to people in the north of Italy, you can't come here. Don't come here. We won't want you. So, I mean, Italians weren't being allowed to move around in Italy the same with 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 great with freedom. At one stage, uh, and yet we were allowing them. At, but you know the whole thing about the freedom of movement in the airports and whatever, which became a big thing. In the middle of the outbreak, you know, and Italy at that stage was looking pretty horrible already. Pretty ghastly. Uh, things looked like they were getting out of control. And we knew it was a hot spot, at least. We didn't know maybe it was going to be as bad as it turned out, but we knew it was a hot spot. We had to have freedom. Now... At, we're talking about imposing 14-day quarantine on people coming into the country from anywhere. I wonder how they'll feel about that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> or is it just the Italians? Of course. Like, is, does Pascal have a thing about the Italians? There was a, uh, there was a thing on, the, on TV in England uh, talking about movement. And he said the uh, people flying in and out of the United Kingdom from places. Well, actually... 
it's okay. What what people have to do is what they are calling in the UK the Dublin loophole. Because there is freedom of movement within the you know the common area, he said it, as long as if you if you if you fly into Dublin and then fly from Dublin to UK, you won't be affected by any of the the quarantining rules in the United Kingdom. You don't have to get off the plane in Dublin. You just have to be in a plane arriving from Dublin. You won't be affected. And my because I we were we were chatting about this before. I said when the fourteen day rule was being muted, if that comes in, we, I don't know if it will. That I couldn't see what was going to happen if somebody flew into Belfast, for example, and just got on a boat. A boat, sorry, you could I suppose got the train or got on a bus and travelled south. Are we going to have police going around to all the, the hotels? Demanding papers, please. Have you got your stamp? Have you got your quarantine stamp? Are you? F- I think the. Uh, I think that's going to going to going to be prove a little bit trickier than they thought it was, since there is this great enthusiasm for making sure that the border doesn't actually mean anything. So the border has to be treated as if it doesn't exist. So that's going to be fun. Anyway, we will be back on when we'll be back Friday. No, not Friday. Friday. Uh, Friday. Get out there. Get your vitamin D. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be 21 degrees. It's going to be lovely. Uh, so if you're outside, as I always say, if you're safe at home, stay safe. If you're out, don't sneeze on people. And Also remember, it's not a picnic if you're standing up. Yeah, but don't bring a rug because that creates ambiguity. And this show, if there's one thing this show hates, it's ambiguity. Absolutely. Bye-bye. All the best. <laughs>